Welcome to Season 2 of the Filament Games Podcast, a show dedicated to game-based learning. Here are your hosts, Brandon Pitzer and Dan Norton. So for today's podcast, this is a, a retro review podcast. Uh, so we are looking at an old school learning game and dissecting it. So the audio content for today's podcast is going to be a little different from the video content. If you actually want to see us playing through the game, uh, see the features of the game that we're actually talking about, um, you're <laughs> going to want to switch over and look at that video content. Um, if you just want to hear us analyze it and review it, um, that's the audio. Brandon, Brandon, Brandon. Hey, Dan. Once again... Someone has snuck into our podcast. And he won't say a thing. He, oh. won't. he just sits oh. there. <laughs> He's taking a vow of He's silence. He's staring at us. Uh, do I have to introduce myself? Oh, yeah. yeah. We're, I, we're not very cordial. Yeah. This is being rude today. This is Matt Hazleton, game designer at Filament Games. Yeah, you guys know Matt. He was here for our last uh, retro review Retro review. Yeah. And then, so why are you here today? Well, I'm here to compliment you on your excellent Saladon shirt. Oh, thank you. Yes. Several people at Filmon got the memo today about oh. wearing nice, attractive Saladon shirts. What kind of fabric is that? That's really nice. It's like a, a wickaway wool thing. All right. I, I bought this shirt for going on the road. All right. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. in addition to that, yeah. I'm also here to talk about uh, Carmen San Diego for our second installment of the Retro Review. Oh yeah! All right, yeah. awesome. Yes, let's uh, let's let's do that. Let's talk about Carmen mm-hmm. San Diego. Uh, so the interesting thing about Carmen San Diego is that uh, it's been around for a really long time. Uh, the Carmen San Diego first came out as a video game in 1985, which is the version that we are going to be playing an emulated version of. I was in first grade. I was not born. Yeah, I was merely conceptual at that point in time. <laughs> I'm so Brandon. old. I'm so old. <laughs> it's so weird thinking about me being like in first grade, you know, like driving around in my car and ordering <laughs> drinks, and then you guys just don't even exist yet. That's just so weird. <laughs> times were different in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> Wild times. Those hard drinking first Wild graders. Times. But yeah, like it's actually hard to think about trying to introduce Carmen San Diego because uh, I don't know that anybody doesn't know Carmen San Diego or. Or at least where Carmen Sandiego is. Yeah, we're starting with the hits yep. in the retro review. Yep. You know, it's very much what we're playing the singles, and then we'll go to the <laughs> deep cuts later. Deep cuts, yeah. <laughs> I, do th- I think it's worth saying that, you know, often when we talk about good game-based learning, uh, Carmen Sandiego, rather than being seen as some kind of like, oh, that was some embarrassing early mistake, and we got things so much better uh, Carmen Sandiego is one of the best learning games ever made in terms of its pedagogy, uh, its actual outreach and impact on people, and uh, its philosophy of how you can use a game to teach. Yeah. And its applicability to the musical genre of acapella. Yes, and its impact on acapella music is... Uh, Cannot be understated. It's immeasurable. <laughs> because when we were actually talking about doing Carmen San Diego, Dan, you you really wanted to play it. Like, so what do you think makes it so good for all of those those areas that you just talked about? Sure. So I think the profound thing about Carmen San Diego, and this is on purpose. I mean, this is a game that's built using research and with a real fixed philosophy and pedagogy to succeed. But the idea behind Carmen San Diego was that it's not a game of trivia. 
It's not a game where you just learn the oil exports of certain countries or what country has what flag. I mean, those things happen. But Carmen Sandiego was intended to be played with an almanac as a reference. And it was intended to create a gameplay cycle where players use that reference over and over. So what you're really learning as a player is that you can go find outside references that are books, uh, learn how to use indexes, learn how information gets organized in reference material, and actually learn a thing that you need to know that you didn't know before. And that skill is obviously a profound skill uh, that can have an impact on your entire life. If you understand there's a bunch of information out there that you don't know yet, but that you are armed and able to do it, uh, that, that, that changes the trajectory of your entire way of how you see the world and information. You start seeing things that you don't know as opportunities to know them rather than things you shrug at and say, oh, well. Hmm. And actually, that's a really interesting point because the, the old version, the version from 1985 that we, uh, we both remember playing uh, way back when uh, I got my, my first copy uh, just shortly out of the womb, uh, actually shipped with an almanac. Yep, it was right in there. Yep. Yeah, like it had a, a world, like a, you know, there's the book, and the, the the box was big enough to accommodate the book. Like you opened it up, and the disc fell out, and then the book just sort of thunked down there. Yep, um, and it was the kind of thing where it's a classic example about how a game should take information and turn it into something with utility, right? It, it creates a context and purpose for wanting to know things. Um, and that's, I mean, that's what Carmen Sandiego did. It's just a relentless engine for generating both how to learn things and uh, and and yet yeah, how to use an actual reference so it was really good stuff yeah. I wonder if the that sort of got lost over the years though because I feel like the later versions you know because you know 1985 uh, was the first installment but it came out again in 1991 and I want to say again in the mid 90s like they, they no longer shipped with an almanac at that point like they actually dropped that facet uh, of the learning and it became a little bit more of I think a, a trivia game Mm. Uh, I think partially because that was the format of the TV show, which was also very popular. That's you very know, like true. Nobody on, on the TV show was using an almanac, and so I wonder if somehow the 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 burden, like, of I can't imagine franchise. why. Yeah. <laughs> that that would have made good television. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you earned an extra six minutes with the almanac. Let's watch. Flip. Um, uh. But, uh, yeah, like in, in some ways, maybe Carmen Sandiego's uh, original learning objectives became a victim of its own success. That you know? could, yeah, that's interesting. Um, it's the, the only educational game franchise I can think of with an identifiable lead character. Um, mm. And uh, certainly perhaps one of the, the only franchises, educational game franchises that has crossed over into other medium so successfully. You know, there have been books about Carmen Sandiego, like spinoff novels. Yeah. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a terrible PlayStation 2 stealth platforming game. Oh. Uh, uh, Carmen Sandiego, Secret of the Stolen Drums. Uh, IGN described it as a beyond good and evil minus a few hundred layers of polish. Oh, that's sad. Um, yep. You snuck around uh, museums and, and bludgeoned robots. See that sounds good. I mean, uh, that, uh, that's a shame because everything everything you describe about what the game would be sounds like a game I'd like to play, <laughs> but uh, except for the part where it's terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But why bring Carmen Sandiego in at all? You know, like it's just it, yeah. At that point, Carmen Sandiego has a life of its own beyond what it was yeah. originally intended to teach. Yeah, that's when she sold out. Yeah, I think it's a, it's interesting too, just because it's a game. Where, I mean, the uh, antagonist is in the title. People mm-hmm. will remember the villain is the real. 
star. Right. You're actually right. pretty boring as an agent tracking them down. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's also kind of unique and interesting, right? Yeah, I think that's unique in, in all media. Like, I was actually trying to think of another franchise where the villain is the titular character. Uh, oh, there's uh, uh, what's it called? Sinistar. Sinistar. Right? Right? Sinistar? I got a lot of raised eyebrows here. Let me, uh, luckily, I have a research device right in front of me. Is this from, like, 1985 It's an old arcade <laughs> game, but I'm pretty sure Sinistar is the name of the game and the bad guy. Oh, isn't he? That's the arcade cabinet that, like, cruelly talks to you, right? Yeah, he's got, like, a... He's got, like, a... He's, like, a giant floating robo-skull UFO kind of thing. Yeah, I remember that. And he, uh... I think you get, uh... Let's see, Sinistar. Oh. Spelt like an S... 1982, yeah. yep, see. 1982. I wasn't even conceptual at that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was, uh, I was smoking cigarettes on the street corner then. Uh, oh, yeah, you must create Cinnabombs, which aren't the delicious pastry, but are in fact uh, weapons. And then Cinnastar is an animated spacecraft with a demonic skull face. Uh, and he gets built as you play through the game. Uh yeah, anyway, sorry. Sorry for diversion, but... We should pitch yeah. Cinnabon on making a remake of that <laughs> cast in there like Are you out there, Cinnabon? <laughs> Are you ready for the educational game to teach people about how delicious your airport pastries are? <laughs> I'm ready for that. As long as you send us Cinnabons, like, at a regular rate. Uh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, so, um, let's see. Today we're mixing it up. Last time, Brandon... Uh, played and I heckled, mm-hmm. um, as is my want. But today, Brandon will be heckling, and if I'm doing any heckling, it'll be self-heckling. Yeah. Uh, but I'll mostly be trying to describe what I'm doing as I play it. Um, are we going to divide this into an audio and video podcast again? So everyone out there, we, yeah. Which which we discussed in our extensive planning meeting prior to this. I know, but this I, is no, this is I mean, exposition. We didn't. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, the yeah. So, you'll be able to hear us. Uh, and then, of course, if you want to see some of the sick moves I pull off in Carmen San Diego, some of the combos. Yeah, those in between frame moves. Yeah, right. If you, yeah, you want to see me. Uh, speed hacking. Yeah, speed hacking and what have you. Uh, you can watch, watch the magic unfold via the video. Yeah, so I'm excited. I really enjoyed both recording and watching the last one, so this should be great. Yeah. It's Dazzleani. What? Oh, oh, there's only one blonde female criminal in the world. And you I am warned. <laughs> Google has spent all this time eroding any expertise in how to actually try and learn something. Ooh, the case. Yeah. Oh, we have to go back. I'm sorry for all our <laughs> Moronian listeners. All our Moronian, <laughs> Moronic listeners. Yeah. Let's let's wrap it up. Let's talk about all this wonderful information you've gathered for us oh, about sh- about the game, <laughs> yeah. Carmen San Diego. Give us a little history lesson here. Absolutely. So uh, I actually printed out a a two page document that was released in 1991 uh, by Social Education, and it's. Three Instructional Approaches to Carmen Sandiego Software Series. Uh, and it's kind of a proto-classroom curriculum, which is especially relevant because that's still something that we're trying to lock down in yep. 2016. Very true. Um, 
still a struggle. And so they've this is uh, this is especially interesting because rather than committing to one particular kind of curriculum or even giving a a specific curriculum, they just generally talk about ideas for how the game can be tied uh, to use in the classroom. So their three ideas are basically you can have students just play the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can use the game as a junkie off point to tie to other curriculum. So you could play the game and then talk about uh, currency in different areas or geography or even like hard-boiled detective fiction. Like there's a whole suggestion of like having them dig into Raymond Chandler that way. Uh, mm. And then the third one is just uh, my favorite, and I'll just read the quote directly from the curriculum. Uh, isolated lessons. Uh, do not use Carmen as a game. Do not have groups investigate. Do not use the software for its intended purpose. <laughs> yep. Instead, take screenshots of maps and then put those on the wall and talk about them as if they were maps. Yep. It's just like you can use the the book or the game as a, as a really crappy textbook. Yes. Yeah. Um, I don't know why that one's in there. I think they just wanted to get to three. <laughs> could be. It could be. Three is nicer right. than two. But it also is, you know, if someone's like, I'm terrified of using the game. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting to think that, like, they probably wouldn't have had any way to, like, project this stuff up, you know, off mm-hmm. of a computer monitor. So it's like, they're. I think they're literally saying, like, grab your Apple II put it in front of the classroom and then have them sit very close. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Which, right. yeah, is, is uh, an unusual thing to imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, hmm. there's, a, there's a caveat at the end, or I guess not a caveat. What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it's a sort of an uh, assurance that teachers need not feel threatened that these packages would detract from valued class time. Yeah. You know, like mm-hmm. just uh, mm-hmm. sort of hedging your bets there. Yeah. Yep. Don't be scared. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then... Uh, I think my favorite excerpt from this is from the teacher-directed grouping session where they're trying to encourage, uh, just trying to have kids play the game, and they suggest that in order to spark interest in this new learning approach, teachers using this instructional design should begin by donning a hat and trench coat, a la Sherlock Holmes, presenting a takeoff audio tape of Mission Impossible, or playing the video provided with the software material. I want to see that video. Yeah, right? (laughs) (laughs) What happened to that video? It's Mm. probably pretty cool. I bet you it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, I mean, this is an interesting callback to a time when uh, game literacy was not taken for granted in students. You know, they're, they're talking about, like, getting students interested in playing a video game in class, mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. a new learning approach. Um, so it's interesting that that sort of very fundamental thing that we, we assume is part of the engagement here is, uh, in 2016, is actually just not even a concept in 20, oh, 1985? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Now it changes. It's totally, yeah, it is It is funny. Yeah, this is, it's very informed by, like, the zeitgeist. And you can, I mean, we'll, we'll post, um, ideally, like, a link to this article we're looking at, this three approaches to uh, Carmen Sandiego software, because it's, it's funny because this is the kind of thing that we produce for our own games and just, you know, in general, not even for our games, but just to help teachers get acquainted um, with, with using games. And this is, like, even more further removed from that. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, the the different ways that they're slicing and dicing the content, like, you know, suggesting that they could use it as a way to just 
focus on vocabulary because they they use kind of unusual um you know slangy or detective mm-hmm. <laughs> oriented vo- words in the game um you know and then i love i love the part where it says artistically and musically <laughs> students could be assigned the creation of police dossiers mugshots and wanted posters and i love the arts being boiled down like into like make a dossier mm, you know right. like <laughs> that's um a stretch, but um, but yeah, highlighting folk music. Okay, there we go. Highlighting folk music from countries and regions featured right. in the programs enhances the music connection. Curriculum integration is boundless. <laughs> Grant, if you were to uh, compose a song about Dazzle Annie, <laughs> that's the thing. I I I wouldn't. <laughs> but but you. If you did, no, all right, fine, fine. It's, it's not happening, man. It's not gonna happen. I'm not yeah. like you, <laughs> Matt. Yeah. Matt, no. no? Dazzle, dazzle, dazzle. Are you? Oh God, are you Hal? Are you dying? <laughs> <laughs> Is someone slowly pulling out each memory chip? Oh, that was gold. Yeah, yeah. that's good. All yeah. right. I'm, I'm glad, glad I, I'm glad I dug yeah. deeper for that one. I'm glad I didn't try because yeah. I would have just been shown up by that. Yeah. Um yeah. there was actually one interesting thing that we sort of touched on during the playthrough that I thought would be fun to discuss with you guys, and that is the mm-hmm. idea of what what Carmen San Diego twenty sixteen could be or should be. You know, what does a game like this look like in the age of smartphones and Google? Yeah. I think that's a really cool question. Uh, if I were to sort of say, like, what's the contemporary information literacy mm-hmm. problem right now? I think it is uh, confirmation bias. Mm, like, sure. people generally will go grab an information resource that confirms to them their perspective and what they already know, rather than fostering a healthy skepticism about how a thing is sourced, where did it come from, and why was it written? Yeah, I think a core objective for something like that in 2016 is, like, checking the source of your source. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. verifying, you know, that, like, you know, maybe there's, like, a, like, kind of a phony Wikipedia that you can go to where the the information might actually be, it may or may not be specious, you know, mm-hmm. and then you have to, like, go and confirm all the way back to, like, the primary source, mm-hmm. which I think is not present in this game. I also think that, like, um, just the way that the game... Uh, you know, we we talk about creating misconceptions with games sometimes, and there are abstractions this, in this game that like give me pause, like the abstraction of the criminal justice proceeding, where it's like, <laughs> ah, blonde female. I think we've got enough for a warrant. <laughs> you know, like yes, right. that's a little <laughs> that would be a harder sell in twenty six. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's a little. People are so aware of that kind of thing now that I think that might not go over so well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder how. So, I mean, obviously, that's sort of just shoehorned in there on the periphery to sort of tie it together. Like, it's not, mm-hmm. like, learning how the criminal justice system is not the, the core learning objective right. of the game, but certainly it, but 2016 mis- would, would do yeah. well to do justice to it. Exactly. Um, yeah, I mean, a misrepresentation <laughs> of that level, it's mm-hmm. like you can abstract, you can make it abstract while still making it relatively true. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to actually think what a 2016 criminal justice game mechanic would be that sort of is is light and airy enough to keep the focus on on what the game is trying to teach, but still 
uh, accurate enough to not make you think that you can just follow someone to their house and throw them in jail. Right. Well, may, I mean, maybe like it presents you with, I don't know, surveillance footage or something. Mm. In 2016, there's no shortage of that. <laughs> you sure. know, pretty much anywhere you are. So it's sure. like you can get like a confirmation out of the out of real evidence as opposed to like hearsay, which is effectively what's oh, happening yeah. in this game. Oh, yeah, the idea that you are the person, like you look at a picture and it's like, oh, I can see a tattoo there. So it's yeah. on you rather than just listening to someone else. So exactly. it's still the, the same structure. Yeah. Um, Dan, what does confirmation bias look like in a, a 2016 game? Like, how how does that play out? Like, I mean, just the maybe you have multiple sources telling you the same thing, but someone tells you something like you're trying to gather information and to correlate it between a couple different people. Yeah. Well, we we actually worked on a, a confirmation bias game with the uh, University of Oklahoma, which I, I'm almost positive that's correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, and. Uh, that was specifically about it was really about confirmation bias as its core focal point and you were dealing with intelligence together to solve crime so in a lot of, a lot of ways it's like right on the right on the nose but to I think Carmen San Diego is more about is less about yeah it's not about how to become a better detective but it's about how to find and get information that you can use mm. and that problem is more in how news gets distributed now through focused interest groups and, and Facebook, et cetera. Um, and that people, I mean, it's not like bias in news is, you know, not a new thing in any shape. But I think the expectation and even anticipation of bias uh, for news may be new. It used to be people read news and wanted to believe it was fair. And now people read news because they know it will be tilted in a way they prefer. Um, and that's not good. Hmm. So I think I think uh, if I were to try and do a Carmen Sandiego thing, I would I would have it be I guess I don't want to turn into a politics game either. Hmm. But that's I mean that's the biggest piece of warping. But just the idea, like Brandon said, you know, source the sources, uh be inherently skeptical about information you're given and consider right. the perspective of why it was brought there. Well, and you can, I mean, they could go kind of cartoonish with it, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like maybe you check the source of your source and it's like, you know, bias confirmation daily or something like right. that, where it's like it doesn't <laughs> take a specific ideological stance, but it's just clearly like this is slanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And that gets you away from bringing in real politics while yep. still talking about the verification. I think that's fair. And it's, yeah, it's not about, it's also not about even finding the truth. It's not like, oh, you'll find the right source or you'll you'll find two wrong sources that when you uh, multiply them together turn into the right information. But mm-hmm. it's more like people should think of information as, as having a context and that that context is really essential to be able to use it appropriately. I think that's really important. That's probably what I would try and hammer on. So it almost sounds like the kind of content we're talking about in 2016 is maybe maybe less about geography and more about things like current events and news. You know, like it's, yeah. it's hard to have, which one, because it's hard to have like a bias about whether or not a mountain is there. Like someone's either <laughs> right or they're wrong. They're not like bringing an implicit. Uh, wait, what was a, what, what mountain just got renamed? I don't know. That everyone got mad about? I feel like Obama... What? <laughs> Thanks, Obama. No, I'm trying to remember. Obama renamed there was, a mountain. There was, there was a mountain that was, pre- I think it was previously named after some someone racist or something. And mm. they're like, let's not do that anymore. And people are like, boo. Mm. 
We like our racist mountain. Interesting. Yeah, that's probably a that's probably a really accurate unbiased summary for everyone out there. Just in yeah, case you're wondering. Exactly. That's probably exactly how. With it all happened. the details you need. Yeah, that's all you need to know, right? That's all you need to know. <laughs> all of Dear the readers, info. I wouldn't lie to you. Uh, I think certainly in the age of Google, things like news are. Like that is the stuff that you're you're trying to sort through. Like when you can just look at geographic facts on your phone. Um, yeah. You know, I could see a version of this game where, you know, like the it gleans and pulls and scrapes uh, information from various news articles, and then those are presented to you as clues, and you sort of have to piece together like, like it could be a an updated current events learning game, uh, coupled with bias uh, training, where you go around and you like have to interpret. Like, one, figure out what event the clues are referring to, and two, interpret them through the lens of bias or not bias, uh, and that will lead you to your place. Yeah. Well, Matt, any final thoughts about Carmen San Diego before we wrap it up? Well, I think there's only one way we can wrap up an episode of Carmen San Diego. <laughs> <laughs> yes. One, two, three. Do, Do it, it Rockefeller! Rockefeller. <laughs> <laughs> And they didn't go. They didn't play. <laughs> we could just... <laughs> Why didn't play? We asked so nicely. Oh, man. Oh, you're a tormentor, Josh. <laughs> you're a monster. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening to the Filament Games podcast. If you'd like to hear more about games, game-based learning... And what goes on inside our studio? Subscribe today on iTunes or Stitcher.